Amen. Before Brother Snowd comes, does anybody need one of the handouts tonight? If you need a handout, would you just raise your hand? We've got the guys in the back there ready for those. We've got a couple right down here. Anybody on this side? You guys, you guys were just smart. You got them all before, right? That's uh-huh. great. You guys, you know, on this side, I don't know what happened. You got, no, I'm just kidding. Um, all right. Raise your hand if you need one. That's great. Amen. And uh, again, just appreciate uh, Pastor Snowd being with us and just how, how God has uh, directed him into this ministry of counseling and uh, what a great need for it. And so, so very thankful for him uh, being with us this week. And uh, so, Brother Harley, yeah. you come right ahead. Right. And uh, thank, you just so, thank you so much yeah. for the opportunity to have you this week. Yeah, thank you, Pastor, very much. Thank you, Pastor. If you will, take your Bible this evening, ask you to turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19 this evening. And it's been our joy uh, to be with you, or me to be with you. Um, I wish you could have met my wife and my boys. Um, she teaches, and so this is a very busy season for her. And uh, she wished that she could be with me this weekend, but uh, grateful that you had us in and uh, honored to be back in the service this evening. Wanted to thank Pastor's parents for their hospitality and everybody who hosted and encouraged us. And uh, you guys were so kind to me. I appreciate that. And many of you had just meaningful questions and uh, were open to maybe considering new truth uh, to you. Not new truth, but new maybe to you. And I appreciate your openness to that this evening. If you will, 1 Kings chapter 19, let's read verses 1 to 4. So we've hit kind of some of the stress-related issues. We've talked about anxiety. we talked about depression. And tonight we want to end by talking about experiencing God's renewal in our burnout and uh, navigating the sensations and the challenges that go with that. 1 Kings chapter number 19, let's begin in verse 1. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. So this would be on the heels of Mount Carmel and uh, the fire being called down from heaven, just a mountaintop moment for the prophet of God. Ahab tells Jezebel about all of these things, and with all how he has slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel, notice, sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods, small g, do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he, Elijah, saw that, he arose and went for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better (laughs) than my father's. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us tonight. Father, what a privilege to be back this evening in this place with this growing, thriving church. Lord, thank you for um, the pastor, his family, each staff member and deacon and leader and Um, Lord, faithful people who support and partner with what you're doing here, thank you for maybe also some first-time guests here this evening. I pray that you would sanctify this time with your presence. I pray that you would um, direct our thoughts and minds um, to your word and then through your word to view our lives and specifically the low ebbs that we experience emotionally, physically, even spiritually to allow you to renew us to reinvigorate us with your presence and your provision. And I pray especially for those in the room tonight who are just on empty or teetering in that direction. I pray that you would encourage them that, Lord, there are resources, there is help, there is power and renewal found in you. And I pray that they would turn to you anew and afresh this evening. 
Bless this study, be honored in it, we pray in Christ's name, amen. I mentioned this morning, I showed you a few pictures of the Eastern Gate, and uh, one of the highlights of our trip was obviously the garden tomb, going there. Um, to be clear, we don't know for sure where Jesus was buried, I just know he didn't stay there, okay? And so that's the main uh, uh, thing to be careful of as we process this, but we went to the garden tomb, and it was just an amazing uh, morning. It, was, it had just rained the night before, and uh, it was just fresh, and the sun was out. It was just a beautiful morning. But uh, I recently saw this, and before I show you the picture, here was the caption. It was trying to encourage pastors. We pastors sometimes, we like, man, we're excited about what God's going to do in our church, and we got this message in our heart, and then we preach it, and... Everybody just sits there like, is that all you got? Or you got anything better than that? Or, you know, just kind of, that's part of ministry. And many of you do that in in children ministry and youth ministry and other things. But here was the encouragement. It said this, Pastor friends, if you're you're discouraged, you can't please everyone. Uh, Notice the following rating on the empty tomb. And if we could show this picture here, this is from Travelocity, um, this picture. Even the resurrection only got four and a half stars. Only... Eh, it was all right, okay? Um, there's always somebody, isn't there? There's always somebody that's not fired up and excited about, I mean, I mean, it's the resurrection. Come on, people. Can't that at least get five out of five stars? Um, in this experience, I want you to think about this for a moment. What do you think Elijah thought was going to happen at the end of 1 Kings 18? I would submit to you, we don't know for sure, but if I had to guess, if Elijah was wired like you and me, I think he thought national revival was going to come. You've just seen fire fall from heaven and not just lick up the sacrifice, but the stones and the water. And then he prays and rain starts falling. I mean, it, this, this is like the high water, the, the, the high mark, if you will, moment of God's presence being manifested in an unmistakable way. And instead, he doesn't even get four and a half stars. <laughs> the queen, and she turns on him. She begins to threaten him. And so Elijah is processing the flat line, if you will, or the downside of the upward moment that his ministry has just experienced. Um, and I would say to you this evening, just as a word of caution, do not think that you're exempt from burnout. In fact, I would say those of you who are most aware of your tendencies as it relates to burnout probably have certain things in place that are helping you navigate that. I trust that there are. If not, we'll give you some of that this evening. But it's often we who do not think we are susceptible who are most susceptible. This guy has just called down fire from heaven. And I would say to you objectively in chapter 19, just a few verses later, he's in full-blown burnout. Fire from heaven, burnout. And so tonight we need God's help to assess where we're maybe leaning this direction or fully in this direction and how God can help us. Now let me give you just quickly a kind of what burnout is. This is the best description I have read um, that kind of helps us process what it actually looks like. An author said this, burnout is more than fatigue. When you're tired, a three-day weekend will improve your life, but when you're experiencing burnout, an extra day of rest won't cut through the darkness. Burnout is more than too much stress. When you're just stressed, completing a project or getting past a deadline creates a sense of relief or satisfaction. But when, but, uh, when you're experiencing burnout, milestones don't satisfy like they did before. They get lost in the continual onslaught of, quote, what's next. Depression comes closer to capturing the experience of burnout, but depression is merely the absence of hope. And while it often involves isolation, it does not capture the level of cynicism 
or rebellious escapism frequently associated with burnout. Listen to these words. As burnout sets in, each dream, each relationship that once promised life seems to be an emotional net loss even as it is being fulfilled. So burnout is a very extreme emotion. In fact, if I said to you, list in order what you feel like is the most serious of the ones we've talked about this weekend. We have stress we've talked about. We have anxiety. We have depression. If we're not careful, we might nudge those toward the top and put burnout as a, clo- as a far fourth on the list. When I would submit to you, burnout is actually a very dangerous condition. We're about to talk about that as it relates to Elijah and then bring that to bear with the Lord's help in our own hearts and lives. So here's the question as we begin tonight. In a world that minimizes or tolerates or even excuses burnout, how do we get better at maintaining a heart and a life that treats it with soberness and treats it with urgency? So let's talk about tonight two uh, ways that we have to allow God into our life as the title of our session tonight Letting God's renewal, how do we actually invite that into our life? When we are burned out, when we are running on fumes, how do we permit God to enter our lives? Number one, let's talk for a few minutes. First of all, we have to allow God to identify our symptoms, identified symptoms. God has to be the one to identify the symptoms. Um, I'm going to date myself here a bit, but how many of you remember when you were a kid? This is before, like, your pastor talked about the phone apps for banking. When you used to actually drive through a bank, and it, you know, you'd go to a bank, and if you were really in a hurry, you didn't have an app, you'd go through the drive-thru, right? And you got those little sucky tubes, you know, that are really cool. And I remember I wanted to go to the bank with my parents, right? Not because I was concerned about our financial status. I didn't even think about that. It's the fact that if a kid was in the car, we got something, right? Right? Yeah. Suckers. Do they still do that? Okay. And in this, this, uh, this part of the world, they still do that. That's awesome. Um, but for me as a kid, I would all, so I'd be in the back seat, mom and dad, or mom at least is in the front. I would make sure that my window was down <laughs> to make sure they knew. And, and this is back when you actually rolled down the window, okay? Um, some of you have heard of this ancient form of antiquity that we once had in our cars on the door panel. I would roll down my window, what? to identify, I'm here, I'm a kid, I want my dum-dum, okay? That, that was the moment. I was identifying it. Here's, in all seriousness, the issue with burnout. The one most suffering from it often is the last person to see it. And what I have found as it relates to burnout is often we either live in denial, we deflect, we excuse, we even look for those who will tell us what we want to hear. God loves us enough to actually tell us where we're at. And Elijah in chapter 19 of 1 Kings did not realize where he was at emotionally. He did not realize where he was physically. And so God enters into his life to aid and to help um, this prophet in this low moment of his life. Notice two things that God identifies here that we have to be humble enough to let him identify in our lives when we're leaning toward or going toward burnout. Look at verse 3. And when he saw that, he arose and went, notice this, went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. Number one, we have to allow God to identify where we have fear, specifically fearful stress. So we have to allow God to identify where we are responding to the stresses of life uh, with the emotion and the human fleshly response of fear. 
Isn't it remarkable here that the very gods that Elijah, that, that Jezebel swears by, Elijah has just proven to be false? By the gods, Jezebel says. And yet Elijah here, out of fear, um, allows this threat to move him uh, in a direction God has not led. In fact, um, the scripture here, if you understand the, the geography, this is likely the southernmost tip of Israel in this day. He went as far away as he could within the bounds of his own land. He went as far away as he could. He flees uh, in fear. I want to give you a few practical things that these would identify when you're kind of coping with stress and burdens with fearful mindset. Can I give you just a few, maybe jot these down, will help you identify with the Lord's help, maybe some areas where you're leaning toward this struggle as well. Number one, jot this down, little things make you disproportionately emotional. Like you, you're brought to tears very quickly, and often it's something that in, in, a, in a normal season of life would not bring you to tears. Um, so often we are teetering toward burnout when little things make us disproportionately emotional. could be anger, could be tears, um, could be frustration. There are a lot of different manifestations of that, but we overreact. Often I have learned, those that I'm counseling and when it's my issue as well, that often the source of my irritability or my overreacting is I'm not in a good place on my energy levels, on the physical and emotional stewardship uh, of where I'm at. And so often that's a profile of a person processing stress in a fearful way. Number two, you just can't think straight. Your thoughts, it's hard to get your thoughts in order. Someone asks you how you feel, man, you can let them know how you feel, but when they say, what are you, what's your thought process? Um, you struggle to identify that sequence. Uh, number three, this is one I see all the time in me and in others, we become cynical or skeptical. Everybody's working in angle. We can't trust anyone. We're cynical about life. We're cynical about eternity. We're cynical about the church, the Bible. The list goes on and on. A couple of more, nothing satisfies you. Things that used to please you and would be sufficient to satisfy some craving or desire. Now, those things do not satisfy. It's insatiable, this desire that you have for something else, something more. And then lastly, you're self-medicating. We haven't talked about this this weekend, but in this counseling world, there's what's called dual diagnosis. Often those who are alcoholics are only self-medicating some other issue that's going on in their life. Be very careful not to judge someone who is abusing a substance that they're just enjoying it for the sake of enjoying it. Many of us use things to self-medicate. We're trying to make up a gap or shore up um, some issue in our body or life by some supplement that dulls the pain and numbs us to the stress that we're facing. All of those things are evidences of possibly processing uh, stress in a fearful way. And here's the deadly concoction, pride and fear. Pride and fear often fuel our burnout. In fact, they, they promote it. They advance it. Pride and fear are villains in the burnout story. They're always the bad villain in the story. They first keep you from admitting that you have burnout and then being willing to tell someone else about it. And so we have to fight against that with the help of the Lord. Here would be kind of the illustration, going back, back to our childhood again for a moment. Do you ever, did you ever get lost as a kid? You know, we were talking, the pastor's family, I won't mention specific, but one child claimed they'd been forgotten at church more than the other kids, okay? 
Um, and, and, you know, we won't open that can of worms. My schedule of counseling is full, by the way, for the record, so I can't squeeze that in. Um, but we've left our sons at the church. But I'm talking not when maybe the parents, you know, absentmindedly, at least the kids would say, forgot them. I'm talking where you just wandered off in a store. Now, what happens when you're lost as a child? Do you walk slower? Do you kind of just pause and soak in the environment and try to find your parent? No, you start walking faster, right? Then you run, and probably likely you're running further and further away from your parent. One of the things I've noticed when we get into this burnout mode is we start getting fearful, and we start running further, listen, and further away from the solutions that God wants us to have. And, and, and here's the danger. The further we move, the more ground we have to recover, the more things we have to rebound from. If we had just let God identify in its early phases, we could have avoided some of those consequences. Burnout, listen to me, is always due in large part to overextending ourselves to erect or to sustain defense mechanisms from our fears. We're trying to protect ourselves. We're trying to defend ourselves, and we see Elijah doing that, and he exhausts himself uh, in the text that we're looking at this evening. It's interesting in verse 3, did you notice it says, and when he what that? Saul. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5 and verse 7 says this, we block by faith, not by sight. And so when we are running in fear, we are doing the exact opposite of what we are called to do, and that is we are to walk. And we are to walk in faith. We are to walk by faith. And so may we let God identify where fear is feeding our tendency toward burnout. Now go to verse 4. But he himself, so he leaves his servant there, and then notice where he goes. That's not far enough away for him to feel comfortable with the threat around him. He himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, came and sat down under a juniper tree. And notice this, he requested for himself that he might die. Number two, allow God to identify your numb stress, your numb stress, N-U-M-B. I was listening to a pastor. His wife was, as often as the case in church, she was out serving in some area. I think this was Easter Sunday. And his wife, who was possibly in the nursery or doing whatever she was doing, she asked her husband after the service, said, how did it go? This is Easter Sunday, good crowd, you know, how did they go? And the pastor paused for a moment, and he responded uh, to her. He said, I had fun. His wife said, that's kind of a weird thing to say after you got done preaching, I had fun. And um, this man was kind of processing that thought, uh, thought, and he said this, sometimes the win is just to enjoy Jesus in front of people and let them watch. You know, if we lose the capacity to enjoy God, the ability to just savor Him, something's off. Because God in His, in His presence is joy everlasting and joy evermore. He is the source of pleasure. He is the one we look to for our enjoyment. And if I'm near God and I can't enjoy Him, something's numb in my heart that shouldn't be. And often it is the burnout that causes this sensation to be between us and God. One of the most significant victims of burnout is the ability to feel strongly about God, to feel passionately about God. And so we must allow him to identify that in our lives. One of the things that worries me are Christians who think it's normal to be bored with God's Word, to have better things to do than to open His Word, to read it, to let it read them. The Holy Spirit is within us. 
There are saints of old that we would say to them, what was it like to see the parting of the Red Sea? And they would say, what was it like to have the Spirit of the living God inside of you? We have access to much, brethren, that should fuel us and fire us and engage us. And where that heart is not engaged, I assure you there's something that's not everything it should be. And so we see here God identifying the numbness in his soul. He's so done with God and his presence and his calling that he just wants to end it. Um, That's where burnout takes us without God's intervention. And so you see here, and he sits under this tree. The juniper tree was what's called a broom tree, probably would have been 13 to 20 feet tall. And he sits under the little bit of shade that it provides, and he begs God to take his life. And I think at the end of verse 4, he's basically saying, I'm not better than my father's. I tried, like others have, and they still won't follow you. He's bemoaning, he's, he's the victim, he's a failure. All of that is the profile of a person in full-blown burnout. All right, let me give you practically, again, as I did for the previous point, just a couple more maybe ways to identify the numbing feelings that come with burnout. Number one, your passion fades. What are things you used to be passionate about that maybe you're not tonight, that there's no explanation for that? I just don't, I don't care for my family. I don't care for my kids, my spouse. I don't care for the church. I don't care for the word. Where are some things where your passion has faded Number two, this is a key one, you no longer feel the highs and the lows. Um, I regularly tell people what concerns me is you're not even, you don't have the ability even to be discouraged anymore. You can't even be depressed. You're so beyond feeling, you can't even feel low emotions. That's a very, very dangerous place to be uh, in our walk with the Lord. Uh, number three, everybody drains you. Everybody drains you. Have you ever gotten to the point, us in ministry, I'm sure can relate to this. I won't let your, ask your pastor to amen this, but I get to the point where any noise generated by a human being is like fingernails on a chalkboard. Like, stop breathing. You're driving me crazy, okay? Um, there are other reasons to have that sensation, but I'm talking about where I just I can't handle anybody. I just got to get away. That often is an indication uh, of burnout. Your productivity is dropping. You're working as hard as you always have, and you just can't generate the same productivity that at other times you have done. And then the last one may seem insignificant to you, but it's so important you don't laugh anymore. Um, I use in my counseling regularly, for those of you who are trying to grow in this area, I use jokes. I use humor. Not to be funny guy, not to just lighten the mood just for the sake of doing so. I'm watching for how the person responds to something that a healthy person at least for my opinion, my sense of humor, would laugh at, okay? And, and so there, there's sense, your sense of humor. Um, I read the other day, children, um, their smiles, their laughter, the proportion of a child to an adult, and it's scary, the difference. We lose the ability to do that as we age, and sometimes that's an indication of something off in our emotions in this area of burnout. Burnout occurs when things that we used to rely upon for life and energy now become only a drain. Can you think of things that used to infuse you with energy and encourage you and uplift you that now that too is a burden uh, in your life? That's often an indication of burnout. And so burnout is serious. And as we see here, if without God's intervention, it will kill us and it will kill everything and everyone that we impact. If Elijah got his prayer answered, where would we be today? In the story, there's so much of this chapter and its implications in Elisha's life and the kings he's going to install and the things that come later in the chapter. He wanted his life to be over. And so may I remind you tonight, before we move to our second point, that the opposite of love is not hate, but it is apathy. 
I can work with hate. I can work through hate, but I can't work with whatever, man. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. And so apathy, this coolness of our hearts, this burnout uh, is the antithesis of all that God wants us to be. All right, so that would be the negative part of our study today. Now let's go to how God deals with it. Number two, we have to let God come in with intervening remedies. So God doesn't just say, Elijah, you're burnt out. Good luck with that. He gives to him help. And aren't you thankful God owns our problems? In the sense, he says, you know what? I'm not just going to reveal it to you. I'm going to give you the tools and the resources you need to resolve these issues. That's God's grace. That's God's mercy. And we see that in relation to this burned out prophet. Um, And so let me give you a couple things that God does here that we have to allow him to do in our lives when we're struggling with burnout. So where do we start? Because burnout is so intangible. It's something that's kind of hard to quantify. Um, Let me give you a couple things God does for Elijah that he also is willing to do for us. Number one, allow God to intervene with your physical deficiencies. Are you noticing a theme here in our weekend? We have to deal with the physical. Um, And some of burnout is a result of physical issues in our lives. Now, let me say this before we get into specifics. I was, I was in a, uh, a men's meeting here in Mansfield, Ohio, a few, I think it was maybe two years ago, and Brother Pauly, Scott Pauly, an evangelist, was preaching through this text, and he asked this question. Think about this. He said, who planted the juniper tree that we find Elijah under? Who was it? God. Can I tell you this evening, God is so many steps ahead of you, He's so far ahead of where you're at tonight physically because he is a spirit. He's omnipresent. He's omniscient. If you'll just let him in, whatever physically overwhelms you tonight, he's bigger than that. And that's easy for me to say as a younger guy. Some of you are dealing with some pretty serious health things and physical components of your existence. But I'm telling you, God's greater than that. Uh, Don't be convinced of anything otherwise. He is poised and ready to help you, not just abstractly, but in the real world, in real time and space, including the body that you find yourself parked in this evening. Notice two things he gives to him. Verse 5, notice Elijah, after he says this in just desperation, God, just take me out. You ever been so tired and so just bone exhausted that you just, you want it to be over? Verse 5, And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him. Number one, notice there is rest for the body. So God first prescribes to his burned-out prophet Elijah rest. I want you to think about this for a moment. In chapter or verse 4, it says that Elijah went a day's journey. If I sequence this outright, Elijah has now been up for over 48 hours. You have the Mount Carmel, you have everything that goes on there. He hears, he hears from um, Jezebel. And in verse number four, it says, after all of that, he goes another day's journey. He is on empty. And the first thing that God prescribes to Elijah is rest. It's interesting in verse five that God's treatment for this severe burnout begins with physical rest. Now, I don't have time to unpack this this evening, but I've begun studying a bit on sleep because it's a major issue in our ranks. It's almost like a badge of honor. I don't sleep much. I've got so much going, and so many people count on me. And we, we feel like rest and sleep is just an optional thing for the weak. Um, we, we often get that vibe in our culture and even in our Christian circles. But in, just to tell you how intentional God is and how he works when we are sleeping, i give you just this one example. From what I understand, I'm not a medical doctor, but there are four stages of sleep. 
you have N1 and N2, which would be what we call light sleep, where you probably would wake up. Maybe you woke up last night with the thunder and lightning. I don't know if we had thunder. We had at least the lightning and the rain. Um, and that, that may jar you if you're in that stage of sleep. Once you get to N3, you're now in what they call deep sleep. What's interesting is the last stage is what is called REM sleep. It's where your eyes rapidly move, R-E-M, rapid eye movement. Um, And it's during that phase that we actually have our dreams. Now, here's what's interesting. I want just to give you an illustration of why sleep is something God has clearly gone on record that we need. When we're in REM sleep, we are having dreams that our body wants to react to. Maybe now and then our body has let that happen. But here's what's interesting. When we are in full-blown REM sleep, when we're most prone to dream, that it's accompanied with the lessening of the muscle toning. And here's what's interesting. When we're in full-blown REM sleep, we cannot move our arms and our legs. The reason I share that tonight is not some random fact, but to show you that God has wired us to accomplish certain things when we're resting and sleeping that we cannot have accomplished otherwise. Um, There's even functions like our our, uh, fingernails, some of the things that replenish, They happen only during a certain phase of sleep. There's things that are renewed. There are things that are replenished. And if we're cheating that, we will pay the price for that. It's just like in incurring a debt. You let debt build enough, and it will take you out, won't it? It'll eventually be something you will lose that battle. And so we have to allow God to give to us where we need it, uh, sleep. Think about this. Um, On average, we spend a third of our life sleeping if we are healthy. And then on top of that, we take another day off for our Sabbath. Rest is a large chunk of our life, giving room for God to be sovereign. He's still going to keep the world going while we rest, uh, yielding to him and everything he's accomplishing while we are in that state of renewal. Um, One author said this, 70% of discipleship is a good night's sleep. I would probably agree with that. We have so undervalued rest and sleep and renewal, and that's why burnout is everywhere in our culture today. Um, We're overextending ourselves instead of staying in this rhythm that keeps our bodies rested. All right, number two. Look at verse five again. He says, He lay down and slept. Behold, an angel touched him, notice this, and said unto him. So now Elijah's talking or listening at least to an angel. What's the first words that the angel says to Elijah? I don't know what you thought he was going to say or what, I, what Elijah maybe thought. Probably I'm thinking something super spiritual. You know, let me tell you, you're going to be fine, and Jezebel's going down, and here's how she's going down or whatever. What's his first words? Arise and what? Eat. Doesn't that seem so? Yeah, amen. I got an amen from the young bucks up front here. Um, amen to that. Me too. I agree. Um, But that seems so superficial, doesn't it? I mean, we're in like full crisis mode. The man of God's on the run, and the kingdom's unraveling, and they didn't respond to the fire from heaven. And the first thing God says after all of this, Jezebel said her peace, and the first words God said is, arise and eat. Emphasizing how much we have to value and prioritize our physical diet. So number two, the diet of the body. So the rest of the body, number two, the diet of the body. Uh, And so God's treatment plan here is rest, then food and drink, then rest, then food and drink. We see this rhythm that's instituted uh, between God and Elijah. Now, one thing I found striking was, (laughs) look at verse number 6. 
it says this, so not only does he eat, he also drinks. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake bacon on the coals. Notice this, and a cruise of water. Notice these next three words, at his head. Elijah was so weak that God had to put the water right there beside him. I love the tenderness, the attention to detail on the part of God to meet the, the initial physical needs of his prophet so tenderly and carefully to minister to this man who was weak beyond belief. Um, burnout happens in a physical body in a physical world. Therefore, we are foolish to try to spiritualize or deal only with the spiritual needs of things that are a part of our physical existence. You're a fool to ignore the quality or the lack of quality of what you're putting into your body. And I know you want to boo me right now, okay, whatever you plan to eat later this evening. But there are direct correlations between how we eat, when we eat, what we do, when we do it. Uh, we need to be honest with the Lord where that's cut, undercutting our health and well-being before the Lord. Now, this is not the first time that God has fed Elijah, right? The brook Cherith, um, as the famine came upon them, God provided through the ravens. I mean, an unbelievable story. I don't know. I would have wanted to at least clean up the food before I ate it, being the germaphobic that I am. Um, and then you have him, remember the widow's cruise of oil? I mean, God takes care of him. He ministers to his needs in this specific year. Think about everything God has going, and yet he's saying, okay, cue up the ravens, and that's where he's at, and here are the, the GPS coordinates. It's mind-boggling, the care for the diet of Elijah that God invested in. And if the God of heaven takes the time to do that for Elijah, several thousand years ago, he can, he's concerned about it this evening. He's concerned about what you feed on and draw your nourishment from uh, even this week. So instead of allowing your burnout to shape your view of the physical, allow it to expose where your physical rhythms and diet need to improve. Um, and I would just say this lastly, directly, your burnout did not just happen. You're getting the exact results that your life is structured to get. I heard this years ago as it relates to churches. Your church right now is getting the exact results for which it is structured. You want to change the results? Change the structure. Change the systems. The same is true in our physical well-being. Are there, are there factors outside of our control? Genetic things, chronic things, things that we cannot control? Yes. But we're responsible with the choices we make as it relates to the rest and the diet of our body. All right, number two. So allow God, first of all, to intervene with your physical deficiencies Number two, jot this down, <laughs> excuse me, allow God to intervene with your spiritual deficiencies. Allow God to intervene with your spiritual deficiencies. Um, I was reading a book, I'm a bit of a history nerd, I read a lot, so for some of you I'm like, you know, like an alien, some of you haven't read since high school, I understand that. I love to read, it's just something I do for both study as well as just my leisure time. And I was reading a book about the SAS, which would basically be the elite military of the British Empire during World War II, and they were talking about specifically the battles they were engaged in in North Africa. So you would have Rommel and his tank brigades, and he kind of was the dominating force at one point in the war, and they were trying to figure out how to attack behind enemy lines with these elite forces. They would drop in behind enemy lines. Really fascinating book, and uh, there was a little statement found in there. They were trying to figure out how to drive across this desert terrain. And they made a statement that I think has application in this area tonight. They said this in the book. They found decreased tire pressure and wider tires increased their speed across the desert terrain. Decreased tire pressure, wider tires. 
And I think one of the things that happens in our spiritual walk with the Lord is we just start moving. And we're moving so fast that we're not evaluating where do I need to maybe decrease the pressure? Do less. Sometimes less is more, right, for the Lord. Um, instead of trying to do 50 things half, uh, half-heartedly or with limited resource, instead, what's the two or three things I'm supposed to do? Um, and so decreasing the pressure and then widening the tires. I thought of delegating or getting others to be a part of that. And so uh, Elijah here is recruited into addressing these spiritual deficiencies. Those who are battling severe burnout discover that it takes more than just these physical tweaks. It's going to take more than sleep. Trust me. It's going to take more than just diet. It's going to take God working with your heart, your soul, as it relates to the spiritual deficiencies. And those two things God does here. Look back at verse 5. So he sleeps, behold the angel, and we talked about what he said. But do you notice those two little words that preceded? It says, and behold, then as the an-, an angel, what? Touched him. The first thing when we're burned out, when we're numb and we can't feel anything, listen, we need, jot this down, God's touch. We need God to touch us and to bring back to our hearts and minds what it feels like to feel his presence to know that he's there, as we said this morning in Philippians 4, that he's at hand. Not just that we can reach out and touch him, but he can reach out and touch us. And to feel it, again, what we felt when we were maybe newer in the faith or it was fresh between us and God, and and God renews the prophet through his touch. In verse 7, he does it again. Notice the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him. He awakens him. He brings him again to the the food and the the water that's provided, but he does so not just with words. He does it with a touch. Charles Spurgeon once said this as it relates to our spiritual being, who we are in our intrinsic nature before God. He said, consider how precious a soul must be. Consider how precious a soul must be when both God and the devil are after it. Like, Everything that's real beyond this room that we can't see tonight is after what's inside of us, our spiritual vitality, our soul. And God wants to touch that and renew that and bring that into closer relationship with himself. And so when we're burned out, the temptation is to isolate from people, including isolating from God. May we tonight pray for God to give us a fresh touch from heaven, his presence, his power, his love in our lives. And I will say this, here's the redemptive aspect of burnout. The person who burns out and then has God touch them often is a better version of themselves than they've ever been before. You may say tonight, well, I struggle with burnout or I'm there tonight. Can I just encourage you, if you'll let God into that space, whatever your name is, the revised version of you after he sees you through the season, maybe the best version of you that's ever existed on planet earth that's been renewed, that's been re-engaged, but we have to let God touch us and, and restore us and renew us for his pleasure and for his praise. So the touch of God. All right, look at the end of verse 7. He says, a third time to arise and eat. Notice, because, notice this phrase, the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat 40 days and 40 nights under Horeb, the mount of God. Number two, we need the strength of God. So we need the touch of God. Notice also that from everything God does in our life, it brings into our lives the strength of God. Um, I don't know if you ever feel like you and your spouse can't get on the same page. I think the longer I'm married, the less my wife and I view things the same way. 
Um, at least maybe we're just more honest about things than we were early on in marriage. I'm not meaning that we have issues any more than the rest of you out there tonight. But uh, one of the areas we've had this give and take, and some of it's tongue-in-cheek, just kind of needling each other, is throw pillows. Any of you others, men, talking men who want to try to guard and defend your space, and it's being overrun with these fluffy invaders that, why are they here? We never use them. Uh, we can't even sit on the couch. We can't even get in the door almost because of all of these, yeah, yeah, all these throw pillows. Um, some of you are now in trouble. You nodded your head, okay? Um, I feel pretty brave. My wife isn't here right now, so she'll probably watch this afterwards. But um, the other day I shared that this had to have been written by a guy. This was his kind of explanation of this phenomenon in our, in our homes. He said this, throw pillows are basically grown-up stuffed animals, like, and ever since, I'm like, that's it. Because, I mean, you ladies, you're not going to collect, I mean, you know, Winnie the Poohs at this point. You're going you're gonna to at least go up to throw pillows. Um, things that were at odds with each other. Can I tell you this evening that a lot of our issues in burnout, listen, is we're going one direction in our own strength, and God's trying to go a different direction with his power and his presence. What if the question tonight is not where should I go and what should I do, but instead do I have the power of God in my life? A lot of the burnout that we experience is because we're not even going God's way and we're definitely not going in his strength. Elijah never was told by God to go where he goes. In fact, the next section of the text we have time to look at, God says, what are you doing here? He asked him twice. And Elijah gets all victim-y and defensive and plays the, plays the, the victim card. And, and so here we see that Elijah is going in his own strength. And God here is trying to bring him back through the renewal of the power that he once possessed. This man prayed down fire from heaven. That's the strength of God in his life. But he had lost that in this low moment of being burned out. See, being burned out is not just a character flaw. In fact, it actually reveals in us a God-sized desire for something great for God. Elijah wanted to see God work. So here, here's just to encourage you, not excusing burnout, but those of us who want God to do something great are going to be more prone to burnout. The key is when we want God to do something that we rely upon Him to do it. He may choose to do it through us. He may choose to do it through someone else or us together, but it's got to be His power. And often we're trying to do these things that we know God wants to do or we want God to do, but we're doing it in our own strength. And so burnout is always the struggle of the one who longs for God to do a fresh work in our day. And so may we tonight be willing to acknowledge that burnout is overcome by learning to abandon, pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps, as we would say, and instead tapping into God's power. We can't shoulder all the problems of the world. We cannot shoulder all of the things that we want and need God to do. Uh, we must look to Him. We must rest in Him. All right, let's land tonight in James 5. Would you go there for a moment? I appreciate your kind attention. Our young people as well, you're doing a great job staying engaged this evening. James chapter 5, and let's look, if you will, at verse number 16. James chapter number 5, and let's look, if you will, at verse 16. Uh, we preached through James during the heart of COVID. In fact, most of James, I preached from a trailer in our back parking lot. So every time I open the book of James, I think of that season in our ministry. We had a, a storm, kind of like we had maybe last night, come through in the 
trailers just noodling, you know, and they're all in their cars just laughing their heads off. Is preacher going to bail on the sermon? I can't remember if I was preaching in James 5 or not, but um, every time I open the book, I think of that season. Uh, look, if you will, at verse 16. He says, confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual, here's the phrase, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And then he uses this illustration. I love this. Elias, that would be a Greek transliteration of the Hebrew name Elijah, same guy that we're studying back in 1 Kings 18 and 19. Elias, or Elijah, was a man subject to passions as we are, to like passions as we are. He prayed earnestly that it might not rain. It rained down on the earth by the space of three years and six months. He prayed again, and the heavens gave, heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. Now, when I read that phrase, Elias or Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are, I'm tempted to not actually believe that. If I just look at James chapter 5, what I love about 1 Kings 19 is it begins to show me, it gives me a, a peek behind the facade or what I at least put in front of me between me and Elijah, and it shows me that I am more like Elijah than I think I am, and that Elijah is more like me than often I'm tempted to believe. And if a man could call down fire and could call down rain, then there's no reason this evening we can't access a fresh presence and power and provision of God, people like you and me. With all the low ebbs we may feel tonight, the inadequacies that we feel, God is more than able to renew our strength. Now, I want to show you this quick little video clip. Guys, if you can have the audio for that. Before they showed that, came across this cute little video, um, and here was the caption. said this. This is not, anyway, being irreverent, just trying to put scriptural realities into our time and space. But the author posted this video, or a friend of mine did. He said this, how the angels in heaven react when a sinner comes to Jesus. And then here was the video. Watch this little video and make sure you watch, especially the end of it. I have to say thank you also to my teammates. They, not only these ones, but the, all the other ones that I play with, and they were fantastic. caption was, that's what happens when one sinner comes to repentance. How, how really actually impressive is that right there? Now, it's cute. It is impressive on one level. Do you know a lot of our relationship with God we feel like is actually what we do? Like, we think we're actually wowing God and others and even the angels of heaven with how hard we're working and how much ex- energy we're expending and how sacrificial we are with our sleep schedule. Since when is our relationship with God ever ultimately dependent upon what we do or don't do? We don't get into heaven by works. And may I say to you this evening, our burnout often is a weak understanding of the gospel that's robust enough to deliver on everything in our lives. Resting, yeah, working, but working from a place of rest, working from a place of dependence upon God. And here's my encouragement to us us this evening. If we will let God into our lives to identify the tendencies we have that lead us to burnout, maybe where we even are in it this evening, and then we will allow him to give us the solutions allow him to resolve where physically we're not everything we should be, that we could change, where things that we could change spiritually if we let him in, 
what an opportunity we have with the Lord, not just to be saved, but to be strong in the Lord. Um, Can I give you just a couple of practical things as we close tonight that may help you? First of all, if you're struggling with burnout, tell somebody. Tell somebody. Tell somebody in your life that um, can help you. If If you're in ministry, tell me. Tell somebody else that can understand where you're at this evening and wherever you're at, wherever this finds you, verbalize that to someone. Number two, rest. Find a season of rest, not just to react or to crash, but to intentionally renew your soul and your heart and your body before the Lord. Uh, Next, do what you can. Just do what you can do and be content with that. Rest in that. Let God make up the difference in your life. Don't overextend yourself further uh, with the guilt that you may feel. Next, I think this is so important. Don't make any big decisions when you're burned out. Don't make any big moves. Don't leave your spouse. Don't abandon your job. Don't abandon your ministry. We're not talking about quitting. Uh, We're talking about carefully reevaluating not just what we're doing, but how we're doing it. I think this is also key. Be willing to reopen your heart to people. That numbness, the best way to fight that numbness is to say, I'm going to open my schedule up this week and reconnect with someone. My spouse and I need to get away for the weekend or whatever the practical thing is. I need to re-engage in relationship with God and with others. And then lastly, this is not original with me, but this is a great statement. Live today in a way that will help you thrive tomorrow. That's been a mantra I have adopted. I'm not just looking at how I'm living today for today. I'm trying to live today in a way that will help me thrive tomorrow. Um, We're so short-sighted. We're so just in the moment, and that will lead us not away from burnout, but towards it. Live today in a way that will help you thrive tomorrow. So here's a question, and we'll pray. Pastor will come. Will you move to greater emotional health by allowing God to identify the symptoms of burnout and then to give his intervening remedies, letting him help you in this area of need? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you tonight for your word. Thank you for this little clip at the end that just reminds us how excited you are about the potential of your power at work in us to see us do things that in and of ourselves we cannot do and ultimately don't earn or keep your favor, but simply evidence your power at work in us. And Father, I pray you would help us not just to believe that as it relates to salvation, that it's all you, it's all your power, it's all your presence. Well, Lord, to also believe that in our day-to-day sanctification and service and just our walk with you. Help us, Lord, to rest in you and to renew in you the things that maybe in our lives are burned out, the things that are numb. God, I pray you would open up hearts that have been close to you, maybe for some time. And Lord, all of the threats and dangers that go with that, I pray that you would bring them back into close, sweet fellowship with you. I pray where other relationships have been impacted, that you would allow maybe even this evening for there to be vulnerable conversations and reconnection. And I pray, Father, where there are, there's mismanagement of our schedules and our bodies and our diet and of the tasks that we assume without checking with you, give us, Lord, a fresh sense of dependence upon you. That, Lord, we're not going to make any move or any decision or uh, entertain any additional responsibility without your careful guidance in our lives. And I pray that you would bless this church as they head into this new season of ministry. May this translate not just to individuals, but to families and to the church here. And I pray as a result, as we studied earlier, that then this church could accurately portray the gospel, that they could be the prophets, they could be the proclaimers of your truth, that only a renewed prophet can be. 
that only a renewed ministry can be. I pray to refresh this pastor, encourage him, his family, the others that lead here. Help me, Lord, to live out what I've just preached again tonight. Bless now this invitation. Be honored in it, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.